Anonymous Was a Woman was recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Jamila and Astrid and the team pay their respects to elders past, present and emerging. We note that this land was stolen and never ceded. Hello and welcome to Anonymous Was a Woman. My name's Jamila Rizvi and I'm joined by my angry, angry co-host Astrid Edwards because today we are going to talk all about rage. Astrid, when was the last time you felt really, really angry? I have felt really, really angry so often these days in 2020, but I also feel a bit tired sometimes. And so to be truthful, the last time I felt utter rage was when I went to the climate strikes before they were banned and when I watched the Black Lives Matter protests on TV rolling out around the world. I suspect you weren't alone in feeling rageful watching those television reports, reading all of those newspaper articles that came out in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd and the protests that followed. It was it was an interesting time for me because I, I did feel hope in amongst that rage. Like I was angry, but there is that hope that comes and flows from rage when you feel like maybe something is happening. Maybe, just maybe something's changing. You just said the word rageful and I love that. Rageful. I want to be rageful. And I agree with you, Jam. We're going to have a podcast called Rage and people might be confronted or think we're just crazy angry women or whatever the stereotype is. But from anger and from rage can come action and from action comes hope and rage can be positive. That is most definitely true. And for so long, women have been told that we should not be angry. The trope of the angry woman is a person who is out of control, who doesn't have a handle on herself, who has got too emotional, when the reality is that rage is a really powerful emotion. And it's emotion I cannot wait to talk to you more about in the context of books. So let's get started. I am furiously delighted to be introducing Me and White Supremacy, Combat Racism, Change the World and Become a Good Ancestor by Leila Saad. Have you read it? I have read this book and more importantly, I have done the exercises in it because as you know, Jam, I'm a white woman who is well-educated and hetero and cisgender and so many different advantages and... This book was specifically written for people like me to get our shit together. I think that's true. I think it was also written for people like me, if I'm honest, because I think this book is not directed at the average person that a lot of books about race are directed at. Because often when we have books that unpack the idea of race and privilege, those books preach to the converted. They're either speaking to people of colour who know what racism is or they're speaking to white people who feel like they know what racism is and like to feel like they're good allies. But in this book, Leila Saad pulls no punches whatsoever. Despite the title, this is not a book for the bad racist people. It is for the people who say they don't see colour, for the people who say, oh, I've got black friends, for the people in the US who voted for Obama, for the people in Australia who think Penny Wong and Linda Burney in the Australian Senate are glorious contributors. It's written for folks who think they're already allies and telling us we're doing it wrong. That is so true. And I have something to admit. 
I was aware of the Instagram challenge that this book came from and the fact that there was this workbook that thousands of people were downloading around the world and it was called Mean White Supremacy. And I did have that white person thought, I'm not racist. It's not written for me. I don't need to do that. And I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but it is true. And so I need to own my ignorance and my arrogance. And this book was written for me and people like me. And it is one of the books that I have read this year that I will still be thinking about in 20 years. Absolutely. So Leila Saad, for those who aren't aware, is East African, Arab, British, Black Muslim woman who is currently living in Qatar. And she published the book in January this year. I suspect not knowing (laughs) the madness of this year that was going to follow. And she describes the book as a personal anti-racism tool. And she is deliberately setting about trying to teach people what white privilege is and how systemic racism works. And she does so, Astrid, in a way that I found both confronting and incredibly eye-opening. Of course, like I am, of course, a woman of colour, but I'm not black and I'm not First Nations. So even that comes with its own advantages, right? There are privileges that go along with that. And there were so many points in Saad's writing that I hadn't thought of in quite that way before. And one of the points she made that really hit me in the face was this idea of white privilege as a form of white supremacy. She said, we talk about white privilege as something we're more comfortable discussing, but if we substituted white privilege for white supremacy, which she says it is, then suddenly we feel a lot more uncomfortable. We feel much more uncomfortable. My mum listens to this podcast, Jam, like your mum, and I sent this book to my mum and I'm pretty sure my mum's reaction was, oh my God, my daughter, you know, she just won't stop. But the point is I want my nieces who are growing up in that house to grow up in a house where they can't escape the fact that they are white and they have to grow up doing better than we all did. That is incredibly correct. And Saad expresses this, if I can just go to her writing for a second, even separate from the points that she's making, she creates all these new terms, right? Or at least she brings to the four terms I hadn't heard before. So she talks about ally cookies, which is the kind of the praise or the present or the well done badge sought by some white people just because they weren't racist. They think they did a good job by not being racist. She also talks about white centering, which is a more commonly used concept. This idea that we assume white culture is the norm, that white culture is the centre of the world. And we've talked about this, you and I, Astrid, in terms of fiction multiple times, that when a protagonist is black or a person of colour, we describe their skin colour with almost a fetishizing kind of language. And yet when a person is white, we just say nothing. Absolutely. You know, being white in literature is like being heterosexual in literature or until the last couple of decades, being male in literature. It was always just the default. After reading Saad's work, Astrid, I, I sat down, I think like you, and dived into a whole bunch of similar works or works at least around the same theme. And I mean, I did the reading, right? I I read a huge number of articles online. I read journals. I started buying new books and reading those. And Saad makes the point in her work that that's not enough. She says there's a huge difference between someone who reads her book and someone who does her book. And you talked about setting yourself those 
tasks and going about the tasks that Saad sets out, even if you do think you're a good person, that you're not racist, that you are not someone exercising white privilege as much as possible, you're compensating for it. I think one of the really important parts of Saad's thesis is that we can't just think this stuff, we've got to do it. And part of the doing involves writing it. She recommends journaling as a way to kind of process the way you live and experience the world. I have pages and pages of notes to myself answering the questions and the prompts that Saad puts out in this book, but this book is also a workbook. And I found myself answering questions and describing myself as that time I was racist. And I'm glad I did that and I need to keep doing that. And the point is, it's not enough that I've done it once, that I've sat down this year. This is something that I need to build into me and have changed every action that I make today and this week and this month and this year and just for the rest of my life. And this is really important for us to chat, right? We love books. We talk about books. We think that books and reading can change the world. And in one way they can because knowledge is important, but also it doesn't matter if we just think about things and never actually act. Absolutely. You can say Black Lives Matter. You can post your black tile on Instagram. You can pick up a copy of Leila Saad's book. None of that alone is good enough if you don't take those actions forward when Black Lives Matter isn't the leading story on the news every night, when it isn't in vogue, when it isn't cool, when it isn't the zeitgeist of conversation with your friends and family. Make it the zeitgeist. That's the challenge that Saad gives to us. Yeah, and I think one of the things that we as Australians all need to think about is applying these global lessons to Australia to the suburbs and the cities and the country that we live in and not just analyze our own behavior and we must do that but also analyze the you know where we go to work or where we buy our coffee or you know the institutions and organizations and public spaces that we inhabit they might very well be unsafe racist places and because we have privilege we don't notice it and so our task is to notice it and then help fix it. Masha Gessen is someone I quote far too often an American-Russian author, and they say whenever you're in a room and you feel included and you feel that special buzz of this is my kind of place, ask yourself who is not included. I think that's a question that Leila Saad would very much endorse as well, and I highly recommend this book. So when we picked the topic of Rage Jam, I immediately thought of Ellen Van Nerven. Are you familiar with their work? I am not. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Ellen Van Nerven is a writer, a poet, an editor of Mudanjali, Yugamba and Dutch Descent. Now, they have written three works and just fortuitously in 2020, Throat, their third work and second poetry collection, was published. And I immediately thought of this work because Ellen is rageful for so many good reasons. Astrid, generally I am not someone who likes poetry and this is, I believe, the second collection of poetry you've brought this season. Are you trying to upset me? Admittedly, this looks very good. (laughs) Uh, I am not trying to upset you. I am also surprised that I have found this new love of poetry. I think it's because my attention span is shot this year and poetry is my way in. And in particular, when we decided the topic was rage. I thought of throat because in this collection, 
Ellen Van Nurmen, with all their brilliant poetic mastery and gift for words, explores everything. Love, tenderness, lust, betrayal, injustice, and yes, rage. And Van Nurmen gets very angry and justifiably so. Can you talk to me about the style of poetry? Is there, are, are the pieces similar? Are we talking about uh, more of a lyrical approach? Are there rhymes? Occasionally there are rhymes, but in general there are not. I am so embarrassed at my answer to this question, Jam, because I am not knowledgeable about poetry. I just find myself really enjoying it lately. Most of the poems are quite short. They are often arranged beautifully on the page. So, you know, you kind of flow with the words down the page, they cascade. But Van Nerven is very innovative. There is one that, you know, is written in four sections called one, two, three, four. And there is one that is questioning their own publisher and written as a faux contract with University of Queensland Press who publishes their work. And so they're all a little bit different. Sometimes they draw on current events. So there are poems that reference Adam Goods, for example, in the AFL, and then others that are just from deep within, deep emotion. You say that the poetry is rageful. I've got to say I was a little taken aback when you brought a book of poetry to this episode, because when I think of poetry, I think of romanticism and I think of a lot of sorrow and sadness, but I think of a quieter way of understanding the world and understanding one's emotions. Can you talk to us a bit more about the anger and the fury that's in this text and how it plays out in a form of verse? So there is not just anger and fury, but there is a lot of that. There is love and tenderness and a bit of romance and lust and longing. So there is So that does exist in this collection, but the collection is broken into five sections and the second section is called Whiteness is Always Approaching. Now, as a white reader, this is the section that I spent the most time in and it shows me all of the problematic things about being a white person. There is a poem called White Excellence and I recommend everybody listening, look up White Excellence and sit down and really imagine the people that you know saying that about you. And it will put a lot of things in perspective. And I thought about reading it for this podcast, Jam, and I don't think I can do white excellence justice, but utterly, utterly recommend everything about it. Another thing that strikes me about our discussion today is, I mean, of course, we're a podcast that's all about the writing of women and non-binary people. That's the premise of what we do. But increasingly, you and I have been bringing the work of all people to our discussion. And yet for rage, a concept we usually associate with cis men, we have gone to women and non-binary people to look at their words of anger and rage. And I'm not sure if we had the podcasting technology 30, 20, or even 10 years ago, we would have been sitting here discussing the rage of people who aren't men. Yeah. So I Googled books about rage and it was pretty disturbing what comes up. So there are a lot of books written, say, in the last five to 10 years by women of all colours, often nonfiction about feminism, problems with feminism and the changes that we need to make happen. And I love all of those and I now have a very long reading list. But the reading lists that were put together earlier were 
Stephen King's Carrie because obviously the chick in the horror film got really angry at everybody when she got PMS, like just really poor understanding of what a woman could be. Incredibly reductive. If I, if I even do a little bit of a mental audit in my head of examples of women being rageful in literature that I've read in the past, we're generally talking about witches, angry witches, or hysterical women who are carted off to an asylum. Or more recently, we're talking about it's almost being angry as a non-man is being childish. Like you're a little girl having a hissy fit. That is how reductive we are about anger. Whereas so often in literature and indeed in nonfiction as well, we consider men's anger so legitimate. Men get angry for a reason. They are righteous and they have something to say. And I like this change. I like this change that we are starting to see angry women on our bookshelves. It is recommendations time. And before we get into our recommendations for this week, Astrid, you've got someone to thank for some recommendations. I have so many people to thank. So last week I put out a call, a plea actually, for recommendations of fantasy by women of colour. Now, fantasy is my happy place. And when I look at my shelf, it's all middle-aged or dead white men. And that is something that I need to change for my mental health and because I actually believe in it. And I got lots of recommendations on Instagram and Twitter. And I have now ordered the Broken Earth Trilogy by N.K. Jemison. Jemison is a black woman in America and she was the first writer to be awarded the Hugo Award for Best Novel, not just once, but in three consecutive years for all three novels in her trilogy. And I am in lockdown and as soon as that arrives, I will put down whatever I am doing and go into my future happy place. So thank you for the recommendations and please keep them coming. Astrid, I would like to recommend a New York Times bestseller, Good and Mad, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger by Rebecca Traister. Astrid, have you read this book? No, I haven't, but that title makes me want to. Tell me about it. This is a 2018 book, so we're talking about a post-Hillary Clinton's lost world, but probably before the hype of the Me Too movement. So the time and place, I think, of a book written by an American woman about rage is really important. It is eloquent and it is almost feverish. And what Tracer does is she goes back in time. She starts with the suffragettes marching on the White House. She looks at office workers vacating their buildings after Clarence Thomas was confirmed to the Supreme Court. And she tracks through history the examples of women's anger and compares it to the way we think about men's anger. And she looks at the sort of ideology of how we accept one and not the other. And she kind of comes to her concluding point without giving anything away about this double standard and saying how transformative and exciting it could be and politically potent it could be if women are willing to get angry despite the social repercussions. She talks about the political advantage and political progress that could be made if we're willing to get rageful. Political progress from getting angry. I love that, Jam. Jam, I just said that the title is fantastic and I want to read the book, but in my book surfing online, I have come across some criticisms of Traster's work. Yeah, and they have certainly been around. And I think 
there are some fair criticisms and they kind of come in two categories. The first one is that she's a little bit too pop culture women's magazine-y. So she talks about Gwyneth Paltrow's website, Goop, and how it apparently helped to stigmatise anger at some point. She talks about The Sopranos and things like that. I personally didn't have a problem with that. I think we need to be careful about being too exclusionary around this conversation because the conversation around sexism and women's rage is a complex one. And I think if we build walls up around it, that mean that the average person struggles to access the conversation, that's not good for anyone. Change doesn't happen because a small literary-minded minority or academic minority got access to ideas. So I kind of reject that one. But the other major criticism that there has been around Traister's work is that it doesn't sufficiently include black women and women of colour more generally. Now, she certainly speaks about the experiences of women of colour, but I suspect she doesn't recognise her own knowledge and understanding of the world as different to that of a black woman enough. And I don't want to criticise it too harshly because I think she makes a good attempt, but there is a sense that this book came very hard and very fast after Hillary Clinton's loss to Donald Trump, and I suspect in that haste some of that good work was lost. So read it with that in the back of your mind. Make sure you're going out and reading the work of black women as soon as you finish, but I still think it's a really good contribution on women's rage and the history of why we're uncomfortable with it. Maybe Tracer needs to read Leila Assad. I think that would be a very good idea. Astrid, what have you got for me this week? So in what might be predictable for those who are listening to me, I would like to recommend White Rage, The Unspoken Truth of Our Racial Divide by Carol Anderson. Anderson is an American academic and professor of African studies at Emory University. I didn't know where that was and I googled and it's in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, White Rage won piles of awards when it first came out in 2016, including the New York Times Notable Book of the Year. Have you read it? I haven't. Tell me more. Was this part of your very deep and thorough book dive into issues of race and particularly the intersection of feminism and race this year? Yes, it it very much is part of that, which is an ongoing project, I have to say. There is so much that I need to read and I want to read. But as a white person on a podcast talking about books on rage, I actually didn't think it would be I didn't think I could go past this book and I felt that I needed to consider what white rage is. And the thesis of the book is really clear and it's simply the trigger for white rage inevitably is black advancement, which pretty much means white people get angry and they take back whatever power they have ceded. And it is horrific what white people have done over centuries This book is specifically located in America, so it kind of goes from the end of slavery in America all the way through Jim Crow right up until the election of Donald Trump. So it's 2020, we're heading into the next American election. Trump is in the White House having come to power after the first black person to hold office, potentially in a bit of backlash against that progress. What is the book's prognosis on the state of affairs? Well, I read the 2017 edition that came with an afterward called After the Election Imagining. And so that was, you know, Trump was in the White House and it basically looks at how white rage has unelected a black president. So obviously Obama served his eight years in office, but the blowback in parts of America against a black man and a black leader and black advancement has clearly been huge in parts of America. And 
for many, many white people. And I just find that disturbing in 2020, but it is a reminder for us, particularly in this episode where we have, you know, spoken about Leila Saad's me and white supremacy, that we have to really examine what on earth we're doing and who we vote for and why. And if you are a white person, don't be rageful about race, be an ally and practice allyship. that is about all we have got time for today. My rage was at a high point and right now I feel like that rage is going to be channeled very positively into more reading and also, Leila Saad, some more doing. How about you? Absolutely. I have so much more work to do. We hope that you have enjoyed or at least had some rage sparked by this episode of Anonymous Was a Woman. Anonymous Was a Woman is brought to you by Future Women and produced by Bad Producer Productions. You can and you should or I will get angry. Follow us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And while you're there, rate and review us. And if you're reviewing, we want five stars, folks, five stars, or I shall unleash my wrath. Enjoy your week. 